typical for us at Meadowbrook. We take a Bible book and then break it down chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And here we are in the last two verses. I'm already missing it. And we are just now finishing. I've had a great time studying. Love that song. I need you, Lord, I need you. My one defense when standing before the holiness of God who requires perfection and all of his law. My one defense, my only hope of righteousness is Jesus Christ. And man, what a treasure he has given us in that. All right, well, let's look to James chapter 5. We're in verses 19 and 20 today. I'll just remind you as I'm setting up these last two verses of the writings of Luke and Matthew who gave us a parable of the soils that Jesus taught. And in that parable, a farmer is spreading seed. Of course, this farmer is like the Holy Spirit who is spreading the gospel news, the good news of God throughout uh, the land. And that seed falls on the fields of mankind. The seed, of course, represents the word of God. And as it is cast out by the Holy Spirit, it lands in four different places. And Jesus gives us indicators of hearts of people. He's telling the parable when he is graciously sowing the seed that some of it actually falls on hard-hearted people. Now, in the parable, it's a hard pathway. I've seen those pathways among the fields of Israel, and those are well-worn paths. And if you know a well-worn path that is baked in the Middle East sun, it's very hard, rock-like conditions. And as the seed is falling there, it, it really can't take root. It gets drawn away by the enemy in fact in Luke chapter 8 verse 12 it says the devil comes and takes the word from the hearts so that they may not believe and be saved so here's a group of people that are so hard-hearted that the seed of God the word of God can't get planted in them and it's just stolen away the Lord also describes a second measure of people one is hard-hearted people the other is shallow-hearted people and he says those shallow-hearted people are those who are hearing. They quickly blossom, but then when the tests and trials come in life, uh, they just kind of wither away. Have you ever noticed the, the old roadbed that is on the Meadowbrook parking, uh, property? It's in between Rainbow Drive and the Kids Theater. Have you ever noticed that old roadbed there? You say, well, no, I really hadn't noticed that. Well, you'll only notice it a couple of times of the year. One is in the early spring. That's an area that really heats up quickly. And so things green up very fast, a few days ahead of the others. But I notice it mostly in the summer, the dog days of summer when the heat is intense and the, the, the water is not so much, the rain hasn't occurred so much. And that old roadbed shows itself because it dries out quicker than anything else. And that grass will wither and fade there more than any part of the property. And I can look back and think, uh, oh, there's the old roadbed. I wonder who all traveled that. Where were they going? Uh, look how close it was to the now Meadowbrook building. Well, what's happening there is you, you already know that the roots there are very shallow. They, they don't go very deep, and they're very vulnerable. Jesus said as the seed of his word is being scattered, it lands on shallow-hearted people. They are like the ones on the rock when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Maybe you've met people like that. Oh, I've accepted Jesus, and they're just so joyful about that. But those have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing when the summer comes, the dog days of summer, when there's very little water flowing 
when those days come, they fall away. I think that we're vulnerable today in America with that because there is a cheaply presented man-centered gospel message that is not of the Bible. Those who preach that often are emphasizing that you or somebody else ought to accept God's love for your life, accept him into your heart, and that you will be saved. Now, there's a whole lot of reason that if you believe that, you'll have immediate joy. God loves me. <laughs> All that I've done, God loves me. I'll accept him into my heart. But that really doesn't last, does it? Because when the hard times come, and all of us experience hard times, when the hard times come and you begin to doubt and question God's love, that joy just kind of vaporizes. Those are people, the seed is planted in their heart, but yet it is shallow and it gets scorched away in the difficulties of life. Jesus warned us that there would be people in our midst that would receive a message that is counter to his true message and they will have a shallow understanding of God and his word and they will not last. James and John, excuse me, James and Jesus' brother are warning us of shallow-hearted people. In fact, they challenge us to ask us, is the gospel truly deeply rooted in our hearts? Is it evident that it's deeply rooted? Now, how do you know if the gospel is, is genuine and if it's deeply rooted? Well, according to the parable, you'll know it in two ways. Number one, you'll be growing in, in maturity. You'll have spiritual maturity about you, and you will be growing in fruitfulness. Now, if you are not one who has grown in spiritual maturity, and you are not one that it's evident that the Spirit is fruitful in your life, then James and Jesus say, you ought to check that. You ought to test that measure of faith because it may not be genuine at all. And the third heart that Jesus mentions in that parable is a congested heart. For those people, they have faith that is choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. So their heart is congested, and you know the congested nature of the heart because they also don't mature, and they don't bear forth fruit. And of course they don't bear forth fruit because their interest is in so much other stuff. It's temporary, like the cares of the world, or the pleasures of the world, or the riches of the world. So there are some connected to our church who want salvation but are unwilling to deny the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world in order to have it. And they bear no spiritual maturity. They have no spiritual fruit about their life. And I'm just going to be candid to say it this way. There is no reason why such a person should expect that their faith is genuine. See, if all you're going to do is have all the consuming of the world and throw Jesus on top of that, you have no reason to genuinely believe that you're saved. And Jesus and James are alerting us to that, that a congested heart is not one that is of him. And the final heart that he mentions in that, those uh, two accords of the parables is the fertile heart, the one that has been cultivated by the Holy Spirit, the one who is ready to receive the word of God and allow the word of God to really be implanted in their life and become fruitful and mature. That's the one that Jesus says will actually have a manifold of much fruit. 
Jesus says in the description, those are the ones who are hearing the word, hold fast to it in honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So this kind of fruitful life, this Christian living that's maturing and the fruit is evident, the fruit is actually an internal significance before it is external. Internally, when you have the fruit of the Spirit within you and the Word of God is implanted in your life, then you will begin internally to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All those are the internal ways which we mature and have fruit. And then as that is maturing us and that fruit is exposed from the internal way outwardly, we begin to see the manifestations of that. And that is the genuine one who has received the word of God, maturing in the gospel and bearing forth the fruit of life. This internal fruit will bloom and be an outward produce. So Jesus and James are alerting the church, saying that within the realm of church, there will be all four-hearted people. There will be people who have a hard heart, who have a shallow heart, or have a congested heart, who want to be around the things of God but are not genuinely saved, and there will be people with a fertile heart who are genuinely saved, who have received God's word. I think that's important for us to recognize because sometimes people will say, well, you know, Randy, I'm just not going to go to church where there's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I would say you probably don't understand the significance of what Christ said about the church. You certainly don't understand the book of James because James said, these are within the realm of church. It's because people want to be around the things of God. They may be moving towards the things of God, but still be hard-hearted shallow-hearted, congested-hearted, but they have not truly received the gospel. So all four of those are here at Meadowbrook. They were in the church that James was leading. They were in the church that Jesus was talking about and setting up. All of them are there. And if you're one of those, I'm glad you're here because the likelihood is greater for you to come to Jesus, to come to faith with you being here. As I can tell you, under the instruction of this pulpit, you are going to hear the genuine gospel of Christ. We're not going to water it down. We're not going to make it a little bit more easy for you to receive. We're going to lay it out there. And if the Spirit of God is working in your heart and He gives to you grace and faith, you'll move in that and you will be forever changed for all eternity. So I'm glad you're here. I'm thrilled that you're here. If you're the hypocrite, welcome. It's okay to be that hypocrite. It's not okay to stay there. It's okay for you to be hard-hearted right now. It's not okay to stay there. It's okay for you to be congested, trying to add a little bit of Jesus in your life. It's not okay to stay there. He's calling us out of that. He's calling us to what is genuine. And the whole book of James has been doing that. Just one test after another, trying to say, hey, if you're claiming faith, it ought to be evident in this way. And at the end of this passage, what he's going to do is going to say, hey, those of us who have faith, we ought to help those who don't. We ought to move them towards what is genuine. So throughout the letter, James has been saying, when the trials and the troubles and the testings of faith come in life, and they do, God is very purposeful in them. 
if you've bought into this idea that God is not blessing you because you're sick or God is not blessing you because you've had hardship or God is not blessing you because you're struggling in some way, listen, God blesses in the midst of those things and he will use every aspect of the hardships and the joys of life for our betterment, for his good and our betterment. God is in the midst of that. And James says in the midst of troubles, we get to see how God is at work in us. So he says in this measure of test throughout the book, are you responding well to the poor? And are you responding well to the rich? Are you living lives that are holy? Are you doers of the word and not just hearers of the word? Are you unprejudiced? Do you love well? Do you demonstrate works of faith? Do you tame your tongue? Have you demonstrated heavenly wisdom? Are you worldly or uh, of another kingdom? Are you submissive to the will of God? What's your view in management of money? Do you tell the truth? All those things James is asking of us, and if the answer is absolutely no in some of those, then he's saying, test that. Is there a genuineness that is lacking in your life? And so the epistle has been given to validate the authenticity of one's claim. Deviating from those areas is a big indicator that you need surrender. Same thing for me. Lord, I need to surrender in that place. And the last two verses is to help the congregation to recognize, let's go after people like that. Let's lovingly call them to the way of Christ. So let's look at these two verses. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, by the way, if I forget, which I did in the early service, this word for sinner is rooted in the word harmatia in the original language, which means to miss the mark. Uh, it's as if God has given us a bullseye, which he has, called the law of God. Sinners miss what God requires of us the term that he's using there. So if I forget that, I, I'll come back to it and hopefully it'll make sense to you. I have two points in this passage today. There could be many, but I'm just going to give you two and all God's people say amen to that. All right, so here they are. There are unsaved wanderers among us in this room, connected in membership to Meadowbrook. There are unsaved wanderers among us. Now, what does it mean to be a wanderer? The word in its original context, in the original language of the Bible, means to be deceived, it means to err in ways, and it means to be led or be astray. That's what a wanderer is, astray, moved away from the things of God. Peter used the term in this way. He said, he bore, Jesus himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, this verse is not the direction of the message today, but I can't not stop and just say hallelujah to this verse because this is, this is like the life-giving verse to us. This, this is what you and I identify with, that Christ, who was righteous, who was the one who was not condemned to death, that Christ bore our sin on his body on a tree. Now, remember what Deuteronomy says? Curse is the one who is hung on a tree. Jesus is the one 
who was the blessed of God, the beloved of God, but yet he willfully gave himself as the one to be cursed on a tree. Why? Because he was willing to die with our sin woo, that we might live in his righteousness. Yeah, amen to that. Hallelujah to that. Praise the Lord for that. That is the joy of our life. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, I just really dislike when people take that out of context because they'll take that out of context and they'll say oh I'm going to be free from COVID-19 by the wounds of Christ or I'm going to be free from cancer by the wounds of Christ or I'm going to be free from whatever by the wounds of Christ what is the context of this it's way bigger than some sickness that we might have temporarily this is I need to be made whole my soul needs to be whole in Christ my body needs to be whole in Christ my spirit needs to be whole in Christ Oh, that by his wounds we would be healed forever. That's where that's going. And in the context, he repeats that. For you were straying. Now, there's the one word that I was waiting to come to. You were wandering. It's the same word. It's translated a little bit differently in English, but in the original language, it's the same word. You were astray. You were wandering. You were straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls now obviously there's some significant things that we ought to testify in that number one that if you want to be alive spiritually you need to be dead in your sin and recognize that and alive be made alive in jesus christ with his righteousness that's what faith is all about lord i am dead before you spiritually by faith i received jesus christ I submit myself to him. I pledge to live for him. I follow him the rest of my days, denying everything else that I might have life in him. That's number one. The other notable is that we are no longer straying. We are no longer wandering like sheep without a shepherd. But in Christ, we have a shepherd. He is our overseer. We've come into the fold of him. Maybe some of you are not yet in the fold of God. You want to be. That means you're going to have to leave every other fold of this world and come into the fold of Christ. How do you get there? Through the gate, and He alone is the doorway. That's how you come to Christ, come to God, come to eternal life, come to righteousness through Him, through Christ. And then we have this shepherd, this wondrous overseer of our lives, who is Jesus Christ, and He heals us and He makes us whole. Now, here's a warning to us. He's saying that if there are any wanderers among you, and there are some, Jesus warned us about that in the parable. James has warned us about that in his epistle. If there are any of you who are wanderings, it could be because of this. People are susceptible to stray as their beliefs sway when the culture shifts. Now, I took a bunch of words uh, in a paragraph that I was writing and I just kept reducing and reducing and reducing it's like a roux that you're using for some good gumbo the thing about that is you need to just paw when you get a bowl of good gumbo you just need to eat that slowly because there are layers of flavor that you need to enjoy this sentence is meant to be like that you need to take it in your outline and just circle it and come back to it like a good bowl of gumbo and just let its flavors come forth 
here's what what I'm trying to say is you are susceptible to the movement of cultures if you're going to allow your beliefs to be swayed by them because culture is very shifty you look at culture's shiftiness in the last two decades and you will see some major shiftiness who would have dreamed two decades ago culture would negate science and say that the chromosomal changes that God gives to a man and woman don't really matter you can claim yourself to be whatever you want to be male or female that's a shiftiness in culture now people who are wanderers are in trouble when and susceptible when they're willing to stray their beliefs to match those kind of shifts which is the reason why you and I proclaim this every Sunday and every day and we meditate on it and we talk to each other about it because this is eternal listen the word of God was before the world came about the world word of God is today and the word of God will forever be so all things other than that might be shifty and falling apart but this word doesn't change so we put our faith and our trust in it i'm just reminded that you don't have to leave the church in order to wander away from truth and he says to the wanderers i recognize you're among us now how do we come away from wandering i know we come away from wandering by being solidly planted in the truth now, this is an, an internal and external way. It's an intellectual and a practical way. It's a doctrinal and a behavioral way. Oftentimes, people want to segment those. You're not going to be able to segment this. You've got to be rooted and grounded in what is true, and you've got to live out the expressions of that truth. You've got to have right doctrine from the Bible, and you have to have behavior out of the right doctrine. Uh, this is this is repeated over and over and over through the scripture but here's one of the favorites one of the most well known it's psalm 1 blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of, of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers now you probably know that passage some of you have even memorized that with us as a church but people's lives are like a stream planted when their lives are rooted in christ and when they're planted by the stream they have all that is necessary for them to do well in life when your life and my life is planted in the truth of jesus christ we have all necessary to live our life well now if you're looking in your handout i've actually put four blanks in there and this is the time that i know you're paying attention because you're writing these words in you've seen this before we've used this diagram before it's pretty insightful the roots are representing belief you're going to believe something what is it that you're rooted in and for those of us who are genuine in faith who have been called to faith by christ jesus we are rooting our lives in the bible we have biblical truth that we root down into and that brings maturity of faith and it brings fruitfulness 
And when our lives are rooted in the truth of the Bible, then it brings, like this trunk, it brings steadiness and strength to us. We'll call that values, that it allows our lives to have strong values, biblical values, godly ways, heavenly wisdom, because we are rooted in the truth of God's word. And then from the trunk comes all these branches, and the branches are the extensions of life. It is the life that we live both publicly and privately. So because we have values that are rooted down in the truth of God's word, the extensions of our life are the ways of God. And that is the fruitful life in which others see and give glory to Christ Jesus. Now this is absolutely essential for us to be planted like one is planted by the streams that we might be planted in truth that we might have strong biblical value that our that our behaviors like branches extend both publicly and privately in a way that is honorable to god and the fruit bearing is unto the glory of christ jesus and for the good of other people it's absolutely essential but you could turn that around and say if you have unbelief if you have another gospel if you have cultural shifts and sways and perspectives and they are untrue, then it will weaken your values and it will weaken your behaviors that will become very ungodly and un, not honorable to the things of Christ and the fruit will be rotten and will actually be something that will testify against us. Now that's so essential for us to think of that in terms of who we are as people. This is what Christ is calling us to do. He's calling us to be a people planted in truth. And he's calling this church to be a church planted in truth. Everything that we do is to be a measure of God's truth. And, and we really try to protect that. I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I'm saying we really try our best to protect that. The things that we say from this podium or from this platform, from the scripture are very much parsed out god are we speaking truth not did i entertain them well not did i make it so more people will want to come next week god did i speak your truth did it come across well the songs that we sing lord did we sing truth not did i have goosebumps today not did i like the sound of the music not was i swayed by the horns but did we sing truth today did we pray truth? Did we speak truth to one another? This is what we do. Right, think about this as a family as well. Dads, are you investing truth into your family? I, I wish I knew this when my boys were younger because I was often focused on the fruit of their life or the behaviors. What I should have been focusing on primarily is constantly making sure they were embedded in truth. They were planted in truth to stop along the way and say but what does god say about that what does the bible say about that let's read that let's find what that says that i would put them in a place of truth at all times so their values are where they ought to be then their behaviors are as they ought to be both publicly and privately and the fruit would be bearing unto jesus christ and his glory that's what dads are called to do it's what moms are called to do grandparents it's what we're called to do keep planting truth all around the people that you're in contact with, be people who plant truth. It's what your life groups are supposed to do. And James is saying at the end of this text, that's what we do as a church. Bring the wanderer back to truth. Bring the wanderer back 
by just helping them to discover truth, helping them walk in truth. So if you go to that second point, the first one is there's wonders among us. The second point is just very simply, any of us can be an agent of redemption. And James is calling for us to be agents of redemption, agents of grace, whatever you want to say. That you and I are called to do that, and anybody can do that. You, you don't have to have a gr degree to do that. You, you don't have to have a certain title to do that. This isn't about pastors. This isn't about teachers. This is about anybody. And I love the way that he's saying it. Any of us can be the agent of redemption. Here's what he says. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and who? Someone. Not the preacher, not the life group leader, not the minister, not the one who's been here 25 years. Someone. That's good news. The people see, seated around you, they are someone. And someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings that sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I just think there's great hope in that. That all of us have the opportunity and the call and the means by Christ and his spirit and his word to be an agent of redemption to bring the wanderers back so what does it take to be an agent of redemption I've given this to you in your handout here it is passed on the screen what does it take number one live redeemed you first are going to be redeemed and then you're going to live the life of one who is redeemed live out that redeemed life and you can be the agent of redemption know the depth of God's unconditional love and love others accordingly so what is the depth of God's unconditional love you only have to look at yourself really and know well God I'm a sinner I'm a rejecter I'm a rebellious uh, I'm a liar I'm a cheat I'm a whatever you just name it and yet God in his love came to you in the midst of your sin and that's pretty unconditional. He didn't, he didn't wait for you to get your life in order and then say, okay, now I'll bring you in. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's unconditional love. So you and I don't have a position to say, well, you know, when that person gets their life in order, then I'm going to go to them and disciple them. No, no, no. God didn't do you that way, and we don't do other people that way. We understand the unconditional love for God, and we want to love them accordingly. We want to love others as God has loved us be a hearer doer and a lover of god's truth that is have a firm biblical world view i just can't preach that enough that we ought to be a hearer and a doer of god's word knowing god's word learning god's word reading god's word talking about god's word singing god's word meditating on god's word asking each other about god's word and seeing life through god's word okay hey we've got some weird stuff coming up in the next few days don't we I mean, we've got the most unholy day on the calendar year, Halloween, coming up. Uh, beyond that, we probably have the second most unholy day, the U.S. election. <laughs> and you and I need to think with a biblical worldview about that. What does God say about that? What does God want me to think about that? What does God want me to do in that? What is my response to the Bible? Not what the culture says, not what the talking heads say. What does God and his word say about that? Be a hearer, doer, and then be willing and purposefully engage in the lives of other people. This idea 
uh, 20, 30 years ago that came out in church life where I just live and let live. Okay, that's not my choice, but that's their choice. I'm just going to let them live their life as, as they choose to live. Or I used to hear it when I first came, there were some families who would say, you know, I'm not really leading my children to the Bible. I want them to discover the Bible and to discover Jesus on their own. I can't think of anything more foolish to say as a parent. You and I have to be willing to engage purposefully in the lives of other people. First, our family, our friends, and others, to engage them purposefully to bring them to biblical truth and to Jesus. Walk humbly and live righteously. Now, that's a po pretty powerful statement because when you and I think that we are living righteously, that is the opposite of living humbly. The Apostle Paul understood this like few others. In fact, uh, if you're in your Bible, and I hope that you are, go to the left a little bit to 1 Timothy to chapter 1. Flip over there. Let me hear those pages moving. I, I, I can't hear it when you're flipping your screen <laughs> on your phone. But I like to hear the pages moving. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, let's look at verses 12 through 15. I'm going to concentrate on 14 and 15, but you can't just negate the first few verses of this. And I thank him. He's talking about God the Father. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Father has given to us the Son, and Paul is thanking the Lord for this, that he's given Christ to him, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Here's a guy that has written a good portion of the New Testament, a guy probably who has given you and me more doctrinal understanding than anybody else on the planet. A guy who has helped establish churches throughout the world. And here's a guy who is determined to live righteously and faithfully. And yet he says, formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent. In other words, he was a hater of Jesus Christ, and he hated the way of Christ Jesus, and he hated people of the way, and he was doing everything that he could do in his power to stop the movement of Christ, including murdering people. So as he is calling people to write genuine faith, as he's calling people who are wayward back to the way of truth, as he's calling people to live righteously as he is righteous, because he would later say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As he's doing that, he's doing it humbly. He's recognizing who he is and who he would be without Christ. Look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ. So the faith and the love that Paul has is a gift from Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now here's a guy who obviously spiritually had it together in his life, but he recognizes 
that if it weren't for the faith and the grace that God had given to him, he would still be the foremost chief of sinners. He's walking righteously but living humbly. And if you're going to be an agent of redemption, that is the attitude to have, to live righteously before people but humbly. Care enough to restore and, if necessary, confront those wandering away. Just care enough to restore people. And you and I might not like the confrontation, but just go ahead and have the confrontation if needed. There have been those awkward conversations, and some of which I've really resisted going into, Lord, I don't want to, but the wanderer is evident. And I have to, at times, say, hey, let's sit and discuss this. This is what I know. That's awkward. But I can tell you to the wanderer, it is life-saving. We ought to live that kind of life, being agents of redemption. Robert Robinson was in his 20s when he wrote a hymn that you and I have grown to love. It's Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Though it was written 260 plus years ago, it still brings encouragement to us today. The hymn is a wonderful testimony of God's grace that had saved Robinson. And so reflecting on that saving grace that extends to us, we join in the song of praise. It reads, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Born in 1735, Robinson grew up in a small town in Norwich, England. He was a teenager and his family was falling apart. His father's business was destitute and he abandoned his family. His mother, a poor seamstress who tried really hard to keep Robert in school. But by the time he was 13, all the efforts were exhausted and he was forced to drop out. Moving out of the small country village in which he lived into the big city as an apprentice barber, Robinson lived out many of the temptations that the big city offered to him. On Sunday, May the 24th, 1752, he and a gang of other people went to Whitfield's Tabernacle at Mooresfield to mock the preacher and pity the hearers. Something different happened upon hearing Whitfield's sermon, though, on the wrath of God. He would be shaken from those words and his thoughts day and night. And then three years later, on December the 10th, 1755, he found, as he wrote, the full and free freedom through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You can hear the wonderment that Robertson experienced as God was seeking him and rescuing him. Listen to the second verse. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger brought me, bought me with his precious blood. Are you a wanderer? Are you here today among the family of God as a wanderer? You're astray from truth. Your life is not planted in the truth. 
your life is not surrendered to Christ Jesus, you are missing the mark. You're a wanderer and a sinner. You are welcome in this place. You're welcome here because Christ and his word is presented. And it's calling you. It's calling you to deny yourself and take up the cross of Christ and follow after him. It's calling you to lay down your life and to be raised new in Jesus Christ. It's calling you that you might die to self and be new in Christ. It's calling. And I'm grateful that you're here, you're hearing. Maybe this is the day that Christ has made for you to hear and turn with his grace and faith. I can tell you, long before the sun was rising this morning, I was praying that would be the way that your day would end today. I want us to sing the first two songs of that, uh, first two verses of that song. And as we do, there are going to be people standing down front who are willing to receive any wanderer in this place, any sinner in this place. And they'll receive you and listen to you and encourage you and pray with you. And they'll begin a conversation with you about God's great saving faith. He's extending it today. And I'm asking you to receive it as a gift. Let's pray together. As we are nearing the end of our time together today, your spirit is potentially inviting people to life in you which means, Lord, that they would be willing to surrender themselves and give up their life of sin and waywardness, rebelliousness, lawlessness, and humble themselves to receive your mercy and your grace and take up the cross of Christ and follow hard after you. And I pray, Lord, as you are extending grace and faith to them, that they would move in a way that would begin the journey for them and that your word would plant deeply in their lives and they would plant themselves deeply in your truth. To the glory of Christ, 